eventually I see the eradication of gender. So I, I believe we're going to live in a, in a world where we are no longer described as male or female, but we'll just be parts. Someone will have a vagina and a penis and that's it. There's no labels and, and you know all these ideologies that we have put on that part. That's what I ultimately see. I don't think I'll see that in my lifetime, but I believe that's where people are going. What's up, everybody? My name is Brazil, and welcome to my podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with definitely the best outfit we've had on this podcast, for sure. Um, this is a person that I've seen on TV with my girlfriend, and we're fans of. And we love your energy. We love the, 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 the love and joy of life that you exude in your entire existence. This is Laganja Estranja. Yes, God. You see, Brazilians always get me. I swear. <laughs> You're about to go to Brazil, right? I am. I'm returning back after November. November was when I just went in 2021. I turned it out. I won the lip sync competition. So they are bringing me back this time with the winner's belt and a, a new cast of other Drag Race girls that I'm traveling with. So I, I love cannot it. wait. I love I love all things Brazilian. When are you going? Your podcast included. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, I am leaving next Wednesday, the the fifteenth. Oh, the 16th. so you're, you're going right away? Yes, yes. And uh, and when are the shows? So the shows are kind of spread throughout. We're doing five different cities. We start in Sao Paulo, mm -hmm. then we move to uh, Buenos Aires, then we do Chile, then we do um, Mexico, and then we do what is the last one? Chile, Santiago. That's already so many amazing places. There's five. There's five wow. amazing cities in Latin America. I'm so excited. Now, how's the scene out there? Is Are they mostly fans of drag, or is there a good local drag scene popping in those places too? Do you know? So, so there's both. Okay. Um, when I first started going back to Brazil in 2013, that was the first year I went. It was the year before I'd been on RuPaul's Drag Race season six. And I actually went with a, a fashion company called Melange, okay. where I did like my, a fashion show. And I was just, I've always been obsessed with Brazil. And I knew at that point, like if I could get myself over there and, and get my art seen, that when Drag Race came out, it would be that much more incentive for them to bring me back over. And that's exactly what happened. So I filmed Drag Race in 2013. After that, I went to Brazil for the first time, walked in this huge fashion show, made a stir, <laughs> made a ruckus for myself. And then back in 2014, when season six premiered, they had me come right away to Brazil. So wow. I've been going ever since. Now, for those who don't know, explain in layman's terms, uh -huh. what is drag? Okay, so drag literally stands for dressing as a girl. That's where the term originated from back uh, even in like Shakespearean days when women were not allowed to do theater and create art, men would dress in drag to portray the females in the musicals or in the plays. So that's kind of where drag started and where it came from. Uh, which was men dressing up as women. Right, even ballet originally, right? Only men were allowed to do it. Like Absolutely. Back in the day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So as drag progressed, it became more of an art form nowadays for anyone. You don't have to be a male dressing as a girl. You can be you know, a biological female dressing up as a glam female. You can be a non-binary individual giving a club kid look. Drag has really grown over the years, especially because of RuPaul's Drag Race, which I think pretty much exposed our community to the mainstream. Yeah, and is it only considered drag if the what you're dressing up as is feminine? No, so there's things called drag kings. Oh. So this would be when a cisgendered female or a trans uh, woman or 
pretty much anyone at this point. Like I said, you don't have to be the opposite sex. So okay. before the idea of a drag king, right, would be a woman dressing up as a man. But now, because gender is so fluid, you know, those rules don't really apply. It's just about the art form of drag. So that's going to be lots of makeup, hair, costume. I always like to th say, like, Lady Gaga is a drag queen for those people who don't have a reference to, like, what right. drag is. Lady Gaga did, at least back in the beginning of her career, drag. So it's, you know, over-accentuating one side of yourself. I love that. And we all have many sides of ourselves. Totally. You know, even somebody who's straight still has feminine and masculine balance inside of them. Absolutely. You know, we all I have mean, those sides. And society now is becoming a lot more accepting. Right. That's us. what I was going to say yeah. is I think society has a, a lot to do with how we currently express our gender and also where we're moving towards, which is, I think, the eradication of gender. Um, for me, growing up in Dallas, Texas, you know, <laughs> I had no idea what, per, A, what someone who was non-binary or trans is. And B, I definitely didn't feel like I had the safety in my life to express that side of myself. So it took me a lot longer in life to figure out that I really, you know, gravitated towards the feminine. Yeah. Even as someone who identified as queer, there's always still been this stipulation around this idea that as a man, you're not supposed to be feminine. And that's why I love drag is because for me, it really freed that for me. It allowed me to, well, ultimately become who I am today. Yeah. How would you describe who you are today? Well, I describe myself as a goddess. Um, <laughs> yes. But no, I identify as a trans woman. I came out last year and June 15th of Pride, which was a, a very big moment. Came out as trans. Came out as trans, right. So that's something that I've known for a very long time, but it's been really hard for me to accept. I mean, even now that I'm out loud and proud, there are still days where, you know, living in a society that we do today, even though we're growing and shifting our ideology, you know, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, even here in LA, I was talking to my girlfriend at lunch today and telling her like most recently I had an experience where I went into a female bathroom and was confronted by another female, basically saying that it was inappropriate for me to be in that restroom. Uh, so that was obviously a very difficult moment, but a teaching lesson both for me and for her. And luckily we were able to walk away respecting one another and I think for the most part, she understood where I was coming from and realized that I'm not a threat to her, to her sexuality, to her children. Uh, this is just a, a way of expressing. And I think there's just been a lot of negative uh, connotations with being gay or being trans. I think a lot of gay men are seen as pedophiles, you know, and can't work in uh, working with children. You know, it's like I, I see cheer or dance. A lot of times gay men get this rap that they're pedophiles and that's why they become an instructor is so that they can pray after, you know, young boys. And it's yeah. like, that's so It's almost like wrong. it's assumed that there's a hypersexuality. Right. Because our sexuality is different than the norm, you know? When really even, I had, anybody's capable of doing... Everyone's a freak. Yeah. Let's be real. It doesn't matter if you're gay or straight. Everyone has a freak flag. And as yeah. Missy Elliott said, we're supposed to get it on. Yeah. So I just am finally doing that more, you know, publicly. And ultimately, I chose to come out on such a public platform because I do believe my story as a trans person is different than a lot of trans women or men, um, just in the way that I view things and the way that it took me a lot longer to come to this realization. I always knew I loved femininity, but I never really knew that that was a part of who I am and not just an act, which is why I found drag. Because for me, drag was a way to explain to people, including myself, my gender. Yeah. Oh, I do this as a job. It's a joke. It's a, a put on. And through the years, I realized, like, actually, no, this is who I am. 
And I don't even want to do drag these days. I don't want to put on the lashes and the rhinestones and the sequins. And, you know, because I'm so comfortable in my womanhood and just expressing myself just like I am today. When did you know you were queer? Oh, gosh. Um, Maybe seven. Like, very early on. Really? I knew that I was different. You know, my parents tried me in sports and all the typical masculine things like Boy Scouts and camping (laughs) and... fishing and I just never really resonated with any of that and it wasn't until they put me in a ballet class moved me indoors with air conditioning and a mirror where I could stare at my gorgeous self that I was like I'm home surrounded by women you know now that doesn't necessarily mean somebody's queer because there's like straight guys that like being indoors and look at themselves too absolutely so how did you you know the I think for me you know uh the realization came when I realized I wasn't physically attracted to the females that I was in class with. And that ultimately I felt more like them than I did a male. Mm. So again, that's, you know, another reason why it took me so long to discover that I was trans because I never really suffered body dysmorphia, which for those of you who don't know, that's basically where when someone doesn't feel like their body matches their soul. So I never had an issue with my genitalia. I never had an issue with the fact that I didn't have breasts. Because ultimately, in a leotard next to the other ballerinas, I looked just the same <laughs> yeah. as them. You know, a lot of ballerinas are flat-chested yeah. and have a very slender body with not a lot of hips or butt. Right. So, again, I just felt like one of the girls. And it wasn't until later in my life where, of course, I was made to dance masculine that I began to realize, oh, I am different from these ladies. Because doing even masculine movements doesn't feel... Masculine movements, I mean, wearing tights. Like, I've always been the one who wants to wear a leotard, a high-cut leotard, and show these legs off, you know? So just right down to the even the attire and, you know, being expected to do all these tour jetés and jumps and things. Oh, so you did ballet training for real? Oh, yeah, no, for real. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm classically trained and got my BFA in dance and choreography. So I'm like a a legit dancer. My mom and dad are both ballet dancers. Oh, nice. And my biological father, too. Like, I grew up around it. Wow, in a family of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I didn't like ballet in the beginning, I'll be honest. It was a little boring. It wasn't until college where I had an amazing professor who was very strict, but very gay and very fun. (laughs) That I was like, wow, ballet is actually super cool and super interesting and super challenging in a, in a great way because I love to be challenged. Yeah. I do, yeah. And where do you hope things go in the future in terms of society accepting how much of a spectrum there is in everybody? Well, um, my hope for as long as I'm living, right, is to just see acceptance. Eventually, I see the eradication of gender. So I, I believe we're going to live in a, in a world where – We are no longer described as male or female, but we'll just be parts. Someone will have a vagina and a penis and that's it. There's no uh, labels and, and, you know, all these ideologies that we have put on that part. That's what I ultimately see. I don't think I'll see that in my lifetime, but I believe that's where people are going because this whole labeling of one another, we had to do that, I believe, in the beginning to understand one another. Understand how different we we are. But I think now people are realizing, like, I don't want to have to do that anymore. I don't want to have to have my body part decide who I love or how I love. So that's where I see us moving. But I think in my lifetime, I just hope to see acceptance and, and hope to see people just allow each other to be, you know? I think there's so much, at least from where I grew up in Texas, things placed on us, right? How we're supposed to act. Boys like blue, girls like pink. And I think now... Yeah, even something as simple as that, yeah. color-wise. Right. Like that's but that's so all made up. In- yeah. It's all made up. Because obviously there are biological differences between people. Yes. But 
the societal expectations are all just that's just what we happen to be doing at the time. Right. Like pink is a great color. Blue's a love great that. color. Like it's both. funny. There, there was this one comedian, I forgot who it was, maybe I think it was a Brian Callen or somebody like that, who said that he felt that as a straight guy, he felt weird doing certain arm movements. He's like, I felt that my my boys would look at me weird if I was doing this instead of whatever. Right. Like literally just how you dance at the club, there's like, are you afraid to put your arm a certain way? Because people What? Right. What? Yeah. How limiting is that? So limiting. And again, it it really wasn't that way even 40 years ago. You know, 40 years ago, trans people were highly regarded in many cultures. Yeah. You know, uh, what comes to mind would be the, the Hawaiian culture. Really? They have a third gender known as mahus. And it's, uh, I'm going to butcher this because I am white and haven't have a lived existence, but I will do my best to tell the, the tale, which is, is basically this uh, group of mahus came in on a ship into Hawaii and they, you know, looked like men, but they were very feminine and actually helped raise the children and helped teach the children about gender. We see this also in the Native American culture with two-spirit, which is the idea that someone isn't male or female, but they're both, and they coexist. And again, highly regarded, usually took care of children. So we forget that there is this history of gender fluidity. Yeah. And that's why ultimately I'm trying to use my platform to remind people, like, look, it was just 40 years ago. Like, it wasn't even that long ago that these ideas were created of pink and blue and you act tough and don't put your arms in the air and you shave your legs and armpits and must wear lipstick. You know, these are these are things that someone in power and most likely white ultimately came up with to yeah. hold us down, to, uh, you know, divide us. Yeah, and I think say, people like, you, are over it. You have it. to act this way. You have right. to, it's like, no, not no. really. And I feel like it's, it's limiting, even if you're like a regular, not regular, what's the word? Even if you are like a cis person, yep. right? You can access so many parts of yourself yes. and live a better existence. Like I know for me as a man, it wasn't until I started doing psychedelics like four years ago, five years ago, that I got deeper in touch with both my masculine and feminine, right? right. I think I've always been an emotional person, but well, I you're was, Brazilian. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, but but when I did it, I just um, I started appreciating my masculine more because I think that also because of so much toxic masculinity, right? And 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 um, misogyny, like misogyny. I think there's been this like a uh, tainted perception of what it even means to be masculine, right? Right to where now it's like guys are like, wait a minute, like is it? So I, I, I'm not one of those assholes. So am I just going to be like a little wimp? It's like no, you don't have to be that either. Right. You can access so many parts of you. Like there's times where I cry with my friends or cry with my girlfriend or whatever, and I don't feel emasculated. Right. Like it feels nice to connect to that and feel and to let go and to be emotional. And there's other times where it's like, no, I'm solid. I'm here. Yeah, I'm on a mission. Nothing's going to stop me. Right. You can access guy or girl can access that. Agreed. No, agreed. I think again, it's it's all like. This idea that we have to have permission to be. Yeah. That's what I hope to see eradicated in my time on earth. You know, I want people to just be born and be able to accept themselves. Because again, it's like I struggled for so many years to accept the fact that I am trans. And it's because of society and because of the way I was fearful that others would look at me and the fact that I thought no one's ever going to love me if I am like this. And, you know, all these things that, again, I was just taught. And I love Gen Z for coming to TikTok and bringing mm -hmm. out the conversation on pronouns. I mean, for them, non-binary, trans, these types of people, they're seeing as young as middle school exists with yeah. them. And I think that that is really powerful and they're really going to change the world and our perception of just how we view each other and our permission to be. 
I think that the dream that you have of the future is going to happen in your lifetime. You do? I think so. I don't know. I mean, gay marriage Gender was just- Gender neutral bathrooms for everyone. I think that's going to be a, a big fight. I think a lot of the old people that make the rules are going to die pretty soon. Sure. In the next 20, 30 years, it's going to be the kids that are in middle school now they are going to be senators and that kind yeah. of stuff. They're going to be from that generation, you know? And I, I think- just think it's so ingrained in our system. I mean, think about every form you fill out. What's your race? What's your gender? You know, yeah. it's, it's as basic I as always that. have a hard time putting down what my race is because I'm Brazilian, but right. I'm white, but I'm not Latino. I'm from a Latin country, but I don't speak Spanish. It's other. Like, yeah, other. Other's what I you put. put other. That's yeah. what all my friends say. They're like, I'm other. I'm like, I get it. I've just been white bread my whole life, you know, from Dallas, Texas. But What's your heritage? I don't really have any. I mean, we've gone back on the family to tree, and I I think it's Scottish, but most of my like family family White from Texas. There's nothing exciting there. Are those eyes natural? They are. Are they green? They're like green blue. They're really I wish beautiful they were more eyes. Green, but thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't I can't almost not even picture you not being this way. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, you just, I'll show you pictures. Full beard and was serving trade and trying to be a male model. It's like a whole thing. Really? You were full yeah. beard. I had a full, not as quite as thick as yours. I went for more of that like. After sh- after five o'clock shadow vibe. Okay, but that's because I hated a beard. But you can grow a beard. Uh, I you can, could. but I'm about to change that. Yeah, are you getting <laughs> yes. laser? I'm actually going to get electrolysis, so that's like a step further than laser. The <laughs> reason that? I'm doing that is because um, my hair pigment is very light. I'm a natural blonde. Uh, so also the hair's natural color too. Absolutely not. But um, <laughs> it, if it was natural, it would be similar to this. Okay. And uh, so yes, yeah, so I have to get electrolysis because the way it works is laser picks up pigments, and um, my pigment is too light. So electrolysis is going into each individual follicle and deadening it and killing it. So it's a much wow. more tedious process. <laughs> it's very expensive and very painful. But I cannot wait to have this done. I am very Are you doing lucky. Everything. I would eventually like to get everything. It's very expensive and yeah. time consuming. So you pay per the right. hair. Exactly. Per each no, one. No, you do. Really? Yeah. So um, mine would be like a million dollars. I'm hairy everywhere. It's a lot. <laughs> so I'm really lucky that a sister of mine from RuPaul's Drag Race started a GoFund for me. Really? A GoFundMe when I came out as trans. And we raised $24,000 in under 24 hours, which is just incredible. That's amazing. And so that's what I'm going to do with that money is get my first installment of, you know, electrolysis. You're going to do the face first? Face. Yes. I've been Will that cover my... the whole face? Yeah. It'll be like, you know, here to the neck. It'll be like this area. Oh, be, I would love to get one on the neck. The neck always, I have to shave this because, you know. Well, you could get yeah. laser. That's a thing. <laughs> many, many men, you know, especially now that, you know, we are starting to be able to be ourselves and yeah. being Metro is cool again. Cause I remember in the nineties when being Metro was cool. And then it went through this phase in the two thousands where it was like, Oh, you're gay if you're Metro. But now I think ladies are like down again with the cause and they're like, yes, I want my men to be, you know, well kept. And so, yeah, I think if it's Lasers authentic, it's attractive. Of course. You know, because there are some people that can make sweatpants look super sexy. Yes. You know, it's not I'm what you're them. wearing. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the vibe you have with it, you know. When I was younger, I used to be insecure about how hairy my chest was. I had some kids in school that made fun of it. They forgot what they were. I think they called me like bird chest. They, they just kept saying these things. And I was like, maybe I'm Birds different. aren't even hairy. I know. It didn't make That's sense. Crazy. I don't know why they said that. But I, I remember because... I had so much chest hair and I would feel like, oh, I'm I'm the weird one, you know? Right. And I would like always oh, shave it, shave it, shave it, shave it. And then it wasn't until I had that psychedelic experience. And I was actually with uh, my lady over there, Yanni, and um and we were having sex 
and I was on acid. And then I looked at myself in the mirror and I just, I, I, for the first time in my life, realized I was attractive. Oh. And, and I was like, I always, people like me, but I thought maybe they were just saying that because they, they wanted something from me or whatever, sure. you know? I didn't really believe that I was like that. But then when I saw myself that way, I was like, oh, I like the hairy chest. I was about to say, nowadays like everyone like, loves hair. That's yeah, like hot. I yeah. fell in love with it. And that's what I was saying about, right? It's like, not being afraid to touch the the feminine side, right? To like to feel that, but also sure. not be afraid. Like if you want to, be the, yes. the, the hairy bear. So to speak, yes, do that as well. You know, it's like a liberation of identity that's happening in culture yeah. right now. Totally. I mean, I'm, for me, I'm the opposite, right? So I grew up with hair, and I was like afraid to shave my legs in really? middle school because I thought that that would make me gay and people would make fun of me. And so, like, I never did that. Never did that. And then when I finally started drag. You know, I, sh- I would shave my legs, but I wouldn't do my arms. It was like, I can't I can't do my arms. Like, that's really too gay. Even though at that point, I was gay and living <laughs> out and open about it. Like, I still had this ideology around hair. You were hair. living gay, but afraid of looking too gay. Right. Because, you know, a lot of times for gay men, when they start drag, it makes it very difficult for them to date other gay men. Because gay men mostly are attracted to masculinity. So when you're over there dressing up as a lady, it makes it very difficult to attract a partner. Now, I actually experienced that myself. Pretty much since I started drag, I've been single, which is going on 10 years now, which is crazy. I was in monogamous relationships my whole life before drag. Like, literally had a boyfriend of five years. So that's been a... So a trying so and tribulation you came out moment. as trans and are living, like, drag full-time, you're saying that's harder to get a gay man. Well, so... I'm saying two different things. Being trans in itself, hard to find love, period, point blank. That's just the truth. Um, But being a gay male who does drag is also hard because, like I said, a lot of gay men are judging you for expressing your femininity, even though we're gay and there's like this, you know, assumed idea that all gay people are okay with femininity. No. No, some want the the guy guy. And I, myself, was like that. So when I was living as a gay man, I would never date a drag queen because I'm looking for a man. So it's like I understood where people were coming from, but then I also wanted them to love me too. What are you looking for now? Um, A great credit score, a house in Malibu, and you can't have pets, but you can have kids. Really? I have the dog. so I don't, I don't, You already have a dog. You don't want to. I wanna... do. And she doesn't like other dogs. So I just see that as a conflict of interest if they're coming with a dog. But Are if you... they have kids, I'm super open. <laughs> okay. That's I love interesting. kids. So would you be more so looking for a gay man or would you date a trans? I don't care how they identify. You don't? I don't. In fact, at this point. You don't have a preference for what you would want? I think, you know, I've spent my whole life living in preferences. Mm. And I'm learning now that that's really a disservice to myself. It's and limiting. to, like, other people. Yeah. You know, so at this point, you know, I've never eaten a vagina. But if I meet the right trans... Never even tasted one. Nope. Hadn't have a finger in it. Came out of my mother's uh, stomach. <laughs> so I'm what they call a platinum star. <laughs> platinum star. Never been anywhere near the vajayjay. <laughs> Um, but I am coming to the realization now that if I were to fall in love with a trans man, that I would be willing to learn how to do that and be open to that experience. Because at the end of the day, I know I'm attracted to men. A part to me does not define that man. So I'm Oh, open. that's interesting. So I'm you're open. attracted to men. Yes. What if that man didn't have a penis? Right. That you, would be a trans that, man. You would be okay with that. I am saying that I've never done that but that I'm open, open and it. willing to trying. I mean, if you can eat ass, surely you can eat a butthole. I mean, if you can eat a butthole, <laughs> surely you can eat a vagina. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, so 
I'm just saying, I think because, you know, coming out trans and, 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 you know, recognizing this within myself that all these things I thought were wrong, I'm now learning that maybe what I thought in my love life too is wrong. Now, am I naturally attracted to penis? Yes. But that doesn't mean I couldn't learn to love vagina is all I'm saying. Because at the end of the day, as long as there's, it's a man, someone identifies as a man, I don't care. It's just yeah. a body part. I don't see it as something that's going to make or break the relationship. I wonder how many cis women feel that way too. Because in the male community, there's so much conversation about the penis. Sure. Well, I think for that males... For you to say, for, that, for somebody to identify as a man... Regardless of that, I know you're saying that you're open to it, but it's just, it's just interesting that perspective. Yeah, no, I have a very different perspective than a lot of people. I'm yeah. well aware of that, and I think again for men, you know, the whole idea of dating a trans woman, well, they're afraid that if they, you know, like that trans woman with her penis, that their friends are then going to call them gay because now they're with a penis, and so that's what I'm saying is for me that there's no way that can be possible because ultimately, gay men don't want to be with me because I'm a woman. So it's so funny to me that would you be with a straight man? Yes, sure. I I, I think or, I, I, right. Straight. <laughs> I think I wonder. I think I wonder about the real possibility of that. I think ultimately, ultimately, my man will identify as probably queer, non-binary, pansexual, somewhere in that landscape. What does pansexual mean? Pansexual basically means you love who you love. It doesn't matter if they're a man. It doesn't matter if they're a female. You fall in love with the person, not the body. Isn't that technically bisexual? Technically, bisexual is more like, I like men and women. Pan is saying, I don't care what it is. It could be trans. They could be non-binary. They could be Got man. It. They could be female. They could be anything. I like the soul. I like the person. Whereas bi implies more, I like both men and women. But not necessarily I would date a trans person, you know? Do you agree with most traditional trans views? Like, like, do you feel that you are in aligned with your community for the most part? I would say I teeter on no. I think yes, I agree with many, but I think I teeter on other opinions. Yeah, I think I do. Would you mind? Um, well, like, for instance, you know, I think there's this big conversation right now about TERFs which are women who are feminists, but they are exclu excluding the trans community from their feminist uh, activity. So... Excluding or hating? Excluding. Okay. Excluding. As, I mean, as in like we're fighting for our rights here, but not yours because you're not on our team. Correct. That vibe. That vibe. So like one of the most prolific TERFs right now is J.K. Rowling, the writer of all of Harry Potter's. Right. She's very outspoken about this. It's caused a lot of controversy. And so, you know, um, what comes with that is this idea that trans women are women. Now, I absolutely believe this 100%. However, I also believe that trans people are really a third gender. So much like the Mahus from Hawaii or the two spirits from the Native American culture, it's a, it's a third gender. It, 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 it's in its own space. Now, that's not to say that you can't be recognized as the sex that you see and, and feel you are. For instance, I'm a trans woman, so of course I think people should call me she and her and, you know, respect my, my wishes and my identity. But also, you know, I'm never going to have a uterus. I'm never going to have a period. I'm never going to be able to give birth. I'm never going to go through menopause in the traditional way. So... 
I see the fact that we are also different than women, than cis women. And instead of hide that, I say we celebrate that. And, and we recognize that while our experiences can be very similar and we can be on the same team, we can also understand that there are some fundamental differences. And no matter how much we try to be the same, we just never really will be because ultimately I've grown up with a penis and you've grown up with a vagina. And that does make us different, you know? Yeah. And so even though, like I said, I think we're moving into this world where parts don't define us and, you know, it'll be different. In this current day and age, they do. And so that's why instead of hide that fact, I just try to say openly, like, just because I'm saying we're also different and we're our own gender doesn't mean I don't agree with the ideology that trans women are women or trans men are men. I do. Yeah. I just think we should celebrate the fact that we are different and that our journeys are different and that our stories are different because that ultimately, in my opinion, makes us that much more special. Yeah. Because we are telling a unique story. It is that unique. cis, you know, born people cannot tell. Yes, like there's things that a cis woman can do that trans woman can't, like give birth, but trans woman can have a whole different experience of Correct. experiencing living one way and then coming out a different way. Right. That's something that they don't have either, and it should be celebrated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, just because I don't understand really what happened, J.K. Rowling, um, was she like actively trying to stop some legislation or something from happening, or did she just say her views? I can't speak specifically because I'll be honest. I'm one of those people when I see a bunch of controversy like that, I like tap in for two seconds, read it. And then I'm like, okay, I know enough about it that if it's brought up in an interview, like I can be topical. But basically it's definitely been expressing views. And what people fear is that because her voice is so powerful that ultimately it will lead to legislation down the way. It, so It can influence the slowing absolutely. of progress. So while she may not be doing it directly, by her giving a voice to this you know, perception, she's hurting the community, which I totally agree. I'm I like, lady, you have millions and billions of dollars. Because she's influencing the kids alone. who right. could influence their parents who make the laws right. about what bathrooms are what or exactly. whatever. Exactly. Got it. It's like consequential. But that's why I think if she could be met with sort of an open dialogue about like, okay, so we're not the same exactly, but can we look at how we are more similar than we are different and why that makes sense for us to be included in, you know, for, for instance, as a trans woman, femininity and feminist uh, practices. And I think eventually maybe someone's going to have that conversation with her, but she may be too old to yeah. sway her yeah. opinions. Um. What's left to do in the fight for trans rights? Oh my God. Aside so much. from social interaction acceptance, from a legal perspective, right. what's the bullet points? Laws and laws and laws and laws. I mean, there's just so many more laws that A, we have to change, and that then B, we have to put in place. Like, you know, getting discriminated against for your job or being able to apply for, you know, children in some states for adopting. Like, which, some states won't let you have kids if you say you're trans, and if you're gay. So that's, that's just straight up. You can't even, right. You're you disqualified. You're not, correct. Mostly in the well. South. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of laws that they need to be put into safe. And then there's like access. You know, I think a lot of trans individuals have a really hard time accessing proper medicine, such as HRT, like what I'm on, which is hormone replacement therapy, or even just therapy in general. You know, it's very expensive. And a lot of trans women don't have, or men, I speak a lot about trans women because I am one and mm -hmm. that's the community I really exist in. But just so everyone knows, it it it's goes both ways, you know? Right. Trans men also are facing uh, hardships when it comes to accessing medicine and support and community. And, and in fact, I think, you know... And when it comes to medicine, not to cut you off, yeah. do you mean 
legally not allowed to get it or coincidentally in a bad position to have it? Both. Really? Again, depends on the state. Got it. Depends on the state, whether they recognize it as a, you know, um, an insurance need or whether they have to get it on their own. And like I said, now they have to get it on their own and it's super expensive. And so there are a lot of organizations that are coming out and trying, like I'm actually working with one. They're called Folks, F-O-L-X. Amazing organization created during Corona, all online, available around the U.S., get you your hormones in under two weeks. Like it's amazing. And I'm so proud to be working with them because, you know, this is what needs to happen and we need more access to safe medicine. Cause that's another issue is that because trans individuals don't have access to the medicine, like a normal cis person was a lot of it's black market and it's not tested. It's not regulated. And so more and more issues, you know, happen because of that. That's a health problem. Exactly. Yeah. I need to, Folks, you said was the name of that organization? F O L X. Yeah, it's amazing. You should write that down. My sister's trans. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Wow. Male to female? Female to male. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Well, n- now they go by Lucas. Lucas. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, they're beautiful. And, and it's so it's been so interesting watching that journey because um, they always got along with me more. Uh-huh. I have I had two sisters originally, right? And then Diana and Sophia, and then Sophia now became Lucas. And um me and Lucas always were so much alike. Sure. Like we liked the same thing. Sure. We all stayed up late working. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, and now it's like, we both like girls. Right. <laughs> it's like, hey. Yeah, you were my brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, if you had like a hundred million dollar grant uh-huh. to spread around the community, where would you put it? Like I'm trying to understand like, 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 like what? Okay, so we have to get the rules passed. Right. right, the laws. Right. There, there's bathroom us. segregation. Yeah. There's there's being able to adopt kids. Sure. Uh, there's access to healthcare. Right. Right, which is both an insurance thing and uh, like legally right. they should be able to get insurance. But then also they might just be in a position where they just need financial help. Right. right. So they should be able to go to a Planned Parenthood, and you know get medicine just like a woman who had financial needs would go there and get. So they currently can't. Again, depends on the state. Yeah, so, so California crazy. is great. It's, you know, we're great out here. They really wild. love us and are helping us, and lots of laws are being put into place so that trans people are protected. But, you know, Texas, where I'm from, absolutely not. You know, there's this comedian named Michael Che. Are you familiar with him? Uh-huh. Did you see his uh, original special, Michael Che Matters, on Netflix? I don't think so, no. He was doing this bit where he was talking about um, Black Lives Matter, but he was also talking about all the different movements, the, the, you know, the LGBTQ movement and that. And he was saying that, like, it's kind of trippy that you can say, hey, I'm for equal rights, and somebody else is like, Nah, I'm not for it. Like, who's nowadays? Right. It, it's it's crazy. Like, we're yeah. it's we're it's such a modern life. We're going into the metaverse, and there's still bathrooms that you can't go into. Right. Yeah, it's, it feels so archaic. It does. It does. And ultimately, you know, it's like a hundred thousand dollars. If I had that, gosh, it's such little amount of or money. A hundred million. A hundred million. Okay, <laughs> now we're talking. I mean, I think I would just put a lot of that into the organizations that have done the work. Because again, you know, I'm an activist and I'm uh, a figurehead, but ultimately I'm an artist. That's really what I do. So the best way for me to help individuals is by living my truth and showing that every day online and then by expressing my opinions through my art. But that's not really going to change laws. It'll influence. It'll help. But that's why I say, you know, we need to trust the organizations that have been doing this forever and ever. So so folks. what comes to what comes to mind right now out here in Los Angeles would be the Trans Wellness Center. Okay. Uh, there's also the Latinx Coalition um, that are just doing amazing work. So I would definitely like give them the money because they really know how to then take it and alloc- allocate it to the best ways possible to move the community forward. 
So that would be what I would do. And then I would also take a chunk of that and open my own dispensary. Hey. That would be run by drag queens and trans individuals, <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm ready for my own dispensary. <laughs> so, Laganja. Yes. When did you first smoke weed? Oh, gosh. Probably in high school. I think I was maybe like 17, 18. Um, I'm really lucky because I was exposed to the plant in a very medicinal way from jump. I had a really good friend by the name of Lauren Glenn who loved cannabis, grew up with it, her her parent, well, actually, it wasn't her parents. It was her older brother. It was kind of like a hippie. Yeah. So she had been exposed to the plant sooner than I had, even though my older sister was definitely smoking pot. I just mm-hmm. didn't know. And we were working on a dance piece. I was up to be nominated for a presidential scholar in the arts. Have you ever heard of this? Okay. So every year there's presidential scholars uh, in each state where the president will choose like two to four individuals who are extremely brilliant and they uh-huh. will come to the White House to receive this very prestigious award. Then there are also 25 artists who are selected after many applications to become presidential scholars in the arts. Okay. So the only way you can become one of these is by going through an organization known as the National Foundation for the Advancement of the Arts. It was called Young Arts back when I was doing it, but now it's NFAA. And basically what it is is it's held in Miami every year, except during Corona, poor kids. And they bring all these people from around the U.S. to compete for titles. And if you get a gold or silver medal you can apply to become presidential scholar in the arts. So I was in that process and working on a dance piece that I was choreographing and I just had a roadblock. I couldn't figure it out. I just, nothing was coming to me. And Lauren was like, well, girl, let's just go smoke some weed. Like it will help you. I swear to God. And of course, at that point in Texas, my very sheltered mindedness was like, oh my God, we can't. It's a drug. Won't we smell? What will we do? The whole nine yards. And she was like, girl, calm down. Let's go. So we did. We smoked for the very first time before rehearsal and drove around. And, you know, I don't think you I got high, high school. Yeah. I don't think I got high my first time. But by the second or third rehearsal, this routine of smoking before we would come in, I was feeling it. Yeah. And it totally helped. Yes. So I never really saw it as a party drug. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I would use it that way. Sure. Um, but ultimately, I've always seen it as a medicinal plant to help us be a better version of ourselves. Absolutely. What did your parents think of that? Uh, well, I kept smoking weed in high school under wraps, okay. for sure. Then I went to college out here in California, so I was away from them and definitely smoked more. But again, social media wasn't as big as it is now. Right. So it wasn't like I was chiefing up on my Instagram story <laughs> and my mom could see. So I kind of kept it from her. But obviously, once I became Laganja and had the national platform <laughs> of RuPaul's Drag Race, we had to have a conversation about it. And you Wait, know, so you were on Drag Race first? And then you told Before her. telling them I was, yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Um, but by that point, you know, I had enough education to, to speak about the plant eloquent, eloquently. You could state your case. You could be like, exactly. listen. Exactly. I knew the medicinal. difference between CBD and THC and yeah. how the different, you know, part or com- compounds. What's the word I'm looking for? Particles? Mm, that sounds good. <laughs> how the different particles like work together <laughs> yeah. or work separately and I was able to really come at it with education and my parents are high school or were high school counselors for 30 plus years. So they've seen. So when you come at them like with a well thought out theory and hypothesis and a, you know, results. Yeah. They're willing to be more open. So what was scarier coming out a uh, queer or as a pothead? <laughs> definitely coming out trans was the scariest thing. To trans. Was, yeah. More so than being queer. Absolutely. I didn't really come out as gay. My mother came out for me. 
Really? <laughs> yes. Um, she was my high school counselor my first year of how was that uh, freshman year because I went to the public school before I moved to the art school. I loved it. I, I've always loved my parents. I've never been one of those people who like got embarrassed of them. Like okay, and but like even elementary school, I was like, come up to school and bring us lunch. And like I had the cool dad that would bring everyone McDonald's. You nice. know, so nice. I never, I've never been embarrassed that way. Um, but they saw you having boyfriends and stuff. Or? They did, and they were super supportive of that. Super supportive of that. You guys never spoke that. about it. They just kind of knew what it was. And- well, so like when my coming out happened, I went into my mom's office after school one day, and it was like bawling. And I had gone on a field trip, and she knew that I like had liked this boy, even though I never had expressed it. And I don't know. It was like a mother's intuition. She just knew that something had gone on between Thomas and I, and she was like have you figured out that you're gay? <laughs> so like that was how I came out was like my wow. mother being like, have you figured this out yet? Um, so coming out as a drag queen was pretty hard. They weren't thrilled about it cause they paid for my college education, which was like $50,000 a year. I went to CalArts. Do you know it? I've it's out it. by magic mountain. Okay. It's like 40 minutes from LA, an amazing school. What were you supposed to go to school for? Um, always dance. Okay. Dance. Okay. They yeah, were yeah, super yeah. Cool oh, it was with the BFA for the dance. For okay. dance and okay, choreography. Okay. Um, but when I came out as a drag queen, they were just like, we paid all that money for you to have a classical training education. And now you want to put on heels and flit about like a gay, like, are you kidding me? But eventually, you know, they, they began to realize that it really is an art form and that a lot of my training actually helped me because I'd never danced in high heels, but I say to people now, it's like, if you want to dance in high heels, get in a ballet class, Mm. learn how to be on your box, you know, learn how to be on your toes. Yeah. It gives you posture and composure for sure. Yeah. I can tell sometimes when somebody is a ballet dancer, but it's how their posture. I know. I drive yeah. like an old white woman. I sit up straight, but it's it's the training, you know? And yeah. I'm ultimately so grateful for that. And as I try to redirect my career now back into the dance world, you know, I'm just so grateful that I grew up with dance history and have knowledge of all these different things in dance because that's really been how I, you know, attacked the drag community was with my dancing. How did you come out as Laganja Estranja? So let's see. Like I was in college smoking a lot of weed, normally, classic. Mm-hmm. Let me just. Uh... And um, there was a thing called CalArts is Burning. So there's a very popular documentary called Paris, Paris is, is Burning, Burning, which is all about the ballroom culture back in New York in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and specifically, you know, trans women of color. They're definitely featured in the documentary. Yeah, it's a great doc. Amazing doc for anyone who hasn't seen it. Paris is Burning. So CalArts wanted to do an ode to the film and host their very first drag ball in many, many years. So I decided that, you know, I wanted to come out as Laganja Estranja and perform. And that was really how I started was on my college stage one night towards the end of the year. And but it you was, hadn't done drag yet. No. You no. were a queer? I would dress up as a, as a female for parties, and I had begun exploring it at Halloween. As I, like an outfit idea, yeah, not as an fun. identity. Not as an identity, not as a performer, not as a job by any means. Right. So once I did that first performance, I always say drag chose me. I didn't choose it. <laughs> yeah. Like It was like a bug that bit me, and I became obsessed with it. And I entered an amateur contest here in Los Angeles, and the prize was if you won you got to become like a regular showgirl in their cast okay so that is exactly what happened i won and i became a regular showgirl in their cast and every other week i had to perform and have a new number and a new look and so i slowly but surely started to build up my repertoire and my portfolio as a performer 
And then I'd say six months into it, I decided to audition for RuPaul's Drag Race. And you got on the first one? I got on the first try. How did I feel? Um, Like Destiny. You know, a lot of people would be like, I felt so lucky. I felt so this. I felt like, for me, it's like I remember getting the call from them and them being like, you're accepted to Drag Race. And I definitely was excited and I screamed, but I also felt like I was like reclaiming my 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 future and my history and it felt right. Like I was like, yeah, of course I got on. Like I'm fucking badass and I should be on this show. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. And so it felt like, it felt correct as the kids say. Um, mm. And yeah, it was an amazing experience. It changed my life. And because of that show, you know, I've been doing drag professionally since 2014 That's and amazing. haven't had, you know, a real job since. How is RuPaul? Well, I'll be honest, we don't really get to meet him. He's very much like on the other side and has an earpiece in and is very professional and does his job. There's not a lot of, you know, back and forth communication between him and the contestants, which of course now makes sense. But as a young yeah. child, I was very disappointed and like you thought, thought yeah, I was going to have Ru's number yeah, in my yeah. phone, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, you know, RuPaul shopped RuPaul's Drag Race for 10 years before someone accepted that show. Wow. So he's had a lot of fighting to do, not only for himself as a black gay man, but for the community at large. And that's why I feel so grateful to have had him in my corner, whether it was personally or professionally. The fact is I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for him. What does he mean to the, he goes by him, right? Uh huh. So what does RuPaul mean to the LGBTQ community? From your perspective. Well, you know, you ask different people, you're going to get different opinions. From you. From me, uh, he means the world. You know, he took this art form that was underground, that happened Friday to Saturday, Friday and Sunday, Friday to Sunday nights, and he made it something that could be on television on a Monday night. You know, back when I was on Drag Race, it came out on a Monday night. Now it's been moved to a primetime uh, TV slot yeah. on Fridays. But, you know, to me, he changed the landscape. He made it okay for me to not only be queer, but to be trans. And he made it acceptable for mainstream people to love drag and to appreciate the, the art form. form. Yeah. And I think that's like so incredible. You know, right now on the current season, they have a straight man who does drag. And there's the, been the a first, lot of the first openly straight man. The first man. openly straight man. And mm. there's been a lot of controversy surrounding this mm. because, you know, trans women for so long were not on the show. And the fight or the argument is that, like, well, we should have another trans person on the show, not a straight person that has nothing to do with this art form. And I hear that. But again, as I was saying earlier, my opinions are always a little different than a lot of people in my community. And I think the show has crossed over into mainstream society. So I think it's incredible that we have a contestant on there that's straight. Because I know a lot of straight men who watch the show with their girlfriends or just because they like it. And by having a reflection of themselves now on the show, maybe it will give them permission to put their arms in the air or to be a little bit more feminine because they're seeing this straight man does it and he has a girlfriend and he's not being made fun of for. Yeah, you don't need to be and Asian I think that's to really be a ninja. Beautiful. It's like you, it's, it's an art form. Like you're just so for for those who don't understand the difference, drag and trans, right, are two different things. Absolutely, trans is an identity. It's yep. who you are. Drag is an activity. Right. Exactly. And that's why him being on the show is important because it shows that that activity is valid, not for just anyone. for the queer, queer community. Right. Because at first it was like, hey, America, hey, America, check out what the queer community is doing. Right. But now it's like, no, 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 no. A straight guy can do it. Exactly. And I think that's so it's great. expensive. I think that's great. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, that's ruining the art form. And what made our art form so special is that it was underground and that it was for, you know, 
um, people who were in minority groups and cast away. But what I say is, it still is. Technically, he's a minority. Straight guys doing drag is a... He's a minority in that group, for sure. (laughs) Um, But what I say is, you know, the more the merrier. And I think it's such a beautiful thing that we're living in a society where a straight man can proudly get on TV, talk about his girlfriend, and then turn into a woman and compete with all the other sissies. I think that's beautiful. Is Tyler Perry considered drag? With Medea? Yeah. Absolutely. So that's drag. Absolutely. It's funny because it's not referred to as drag. Well, because that's in mainstream media. Demasculating it's, it, 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 or emasculating. It's just a Tyler Perry playing a Medea. Right. But technically speaking, Absolutely. you could count that as drag. 100%. So it's just the art form of dressing up. Yeah. I love it. So Halloween is, is the ultimate mainstream dr- so that's that's how I started. Drag. You know, Halloween is a time where I think many feel comfortable to explore drag without being judged. And that's exactly how I started. At my college, every Halloween, I started dressing up as a girl. And then it trickled into the Thursday night uh, art opening parties. And then the next thing you knew, I'd created a character. So, you know, this year for Halloween, I, I went as a, as a king. Okay. And I had this really nice, like, fur thing that went this way and the whole setup. And I liked it so much when I went to the club, I was like... I should just wear this out more. And I've exactly. worn it a couple more times. And it feels like, it feels nice. It's like I'm putting on this this cape and I'm yeah. like, I'm going out as like this version, this accentuated version of myself. Right. I think, again, people forget that, you know, not even 40 years ago, people put a lot of effort into the way they dressed and presented. And I think not just for vanity reasons, but because of the way it makes us feel, right? And for me, again, that's why I was so addicted to drag is because of the way it made me feel and because it gave me the acceptance to put on these fabulous clothes that I normally gravitate towards, but that I know I'm not really supposed to wear during the day because most people are going to be in a black hoodie and gray sweatpants. But I learned for myself, you know, I'm Carrie Bradshaw in Sex and the City, and I'm going to wear a ball gown to the grocery store because I am fabulous and life is too short to need a character or to need a way to explain that to someone. You don't need a reason to dress up. No. No. If you want to wear your king's cape out to the club one night, I say go for it. Yes. I say go for it. And it felt so right. It felt so freeing. Yeah. And you could almost make a technical argument that the reason that we've been programmed to think that men are supposed to be this way, that way, is kind of like... um, Okay, you know how like we say like when I wear my king's outfit, I feel a certain way when I go to the club. Right. I think that we've been made to be so limited because of it's the reverse. Right. They say no, no, you only wear blue, you only wear pink, you only do this, you only do that. It's the same idea. As- well, it's because the people who made that up realized that freedom ultimately uh, could be taxed and priced, and so they figured out a way to divide us and to you know be misogynistic, to be racist, and to put us in all these different sectors so that they could remain at the top of the food chain. That's what I believe. Yeah. And it's funny because I also think that same thing about uh, psychedelics. When I started doing mushrooms and LSD, I realized, I was like, now I know why it's illegal. It frees your mind. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine somebody being a soldier about to go overseas to a war, taking mushrooms and going on with it. They'd be like, what am I doing? Right. <laughs> like, I should be helping these people. Why am I shooting them? Like, exactly. what's going on here? Like, it, it, it frees the mind, and that's why they made it illegal. But now there's a lot of studies about it being therapeutic. At John Hopkins, oh, yeah. it's like microdosing is a huge conversation right now, yes, especially in I do the cannabis community. Do yeah, you? yeah. I've yet to do it. I'm intrigued by it. I did a lot of drugs in the earlier years of well, my you've done life. Shrooms. 
I've done shrooms. I've done acid. I've yeah. I've never done meth or crack or heroin. <laughs> But pretty much everything else Me I've tried. Me neither of those three. Yeah, yeah pretty much everything same, else I've tried. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm at the point in my life where I'm just not really interested. Weed is all I need. That's like yeah. perfect for me. Um, but microdosing has definitely piqued my interest. And the research that I'm seeing, it does seem very effective. Very well, I think effective. it's definitely something to to look into. Yeah. You know, because we all have different minds and chemicals, right? So some people uh, don't have the brain chemistry to even smoke weed. If right. they smoke weed, it'll throw them the the fuck off so they shouldn't I mean, that's even like 10 percent, that. but yes yes for some people that happens yeah, i smoke weed often I'm like 90 percent of people should smoke weed but <laughs> yeah yes, there's a 10 percent where no it's not going to work for you psychedelics actually helped me stop partying and with other stuff interesting you know when i started doing psychedelics it kind of brought me back to me yeah you know people have told me to try microdosing for quitting cigarettes it might help that's what i've heard you know what it does is it allows you to have a refreshed look at things. It, yeah. it breaks the pattern. Yeah. You know what? Well, you did shrooms. You were on the bank. I saw your yeah. clip about going to the bank scene. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I used Andy to Warhol. love them and think they were amazing. Yeah. I just think now I'm at such a different point in my life where, you know, being out, like not in control of my own body does not excite me. Well, you started early. I was the opposite. I, I was straight edge till I was in my 20s. Okay. I didn't even get drunk till I was 21. I didn't smoke weed till I was in my mid-20s. Wow. My first time doing... Shrooms or acid, I was like almost 30, you know? Oh, yeah. So no, I, 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 I moved to California way. 18 and was like, what do we got? Where's it at? I'm ready to try it. I was the opposite way. I was really into like personal development and Tony Robbins and self help and psychology and all these things. And nice. I did all that like sober. So then once I got into psychedelics, it felt like a cheat code. It felt like, well, I know about psychology. So then when I do shrooms, I'm like psychoanalyzing my own trip. Sure. And I'm like, oh. But it, it informed you, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. It felt like when I. When I first moved to LA and I and I tried other drugs, it felt like they were lying to me. Hmm. I can relate. The drug experience itself. I can relate. It felt like we're gonna inflate reality and the next day the hangover it, it feels like shit and it feels wasted. And I was like, uh. And that's why I really stopped drinking. I mean I'm having wine tonight, but I'd probably drink like once a month, you know, maybe a couple of times a month. <laughs> yeah, you look at me. Maybe twice a month. I smoke weed every day, but um, but drinking has gone down a lot. But when I did psychedelics, it was the opposite of the other drugs. Yeah. When I did psychedelics, it was like, whoa, I got to feel what it felt like the real me was. Sure. Like I, I've never made a bad decision on psychedelics. I when Can't I was younger, <laughs> when I was younger, I had like taken Molly and made some bad decisions. Where I'm like, oh my god, I was being, I was acting too wild last sure. night, you know? But I've been like about to go to a party and then taking psychedelics and then been like, you know what? I need to stretch, clean my house and call my mom and journal or something, <laughs> you know? Nice. And then I just change. But that's just how it, it affects me. Yeah. So nowadays, you, sm you smoke weed? Just the weed for me, yeah. Nothing else? Uh, I like alcohol. I have a, a love-hate relationship with alcohol. Unfortunately, uh, when I got off my season of RuPaul's Drag Race, the first one, season six, I definitely was abusing substances, like yeah. all of all of them. And alcohol was always like the courier, which led to all the other things. So I was sober for three years. Uh, didn't drink, didn't party, nothing. I still smoked weed. <laughs> but that's medicine, so I've never counted that like <laughs> against my sobriety. <laughs> and then eventually, you know, I started incorporating alcohol into my life. And, you know, I learned um, modesty and... Moderation. So that's the word I was looking for. <laughs> I learned moderation. Yeah, I learned moderation, but can't say the word. So that's the thing is, is I still, you know, some sometimes have a love-hate relationship with alcohol. In my mind, I'd like to be vegan and Cali sober. 
But Cali sober means you smoke weed. Cali sober means wine. like you smoke weed or you'll have a glass of wine here or there. Yeah. So in my mind, I want to be those two things. But in reality, I'm like, you know, uh, an alcoholic who is from Texas and loves to eat fried chicken. So, you know, it's all about working to like find the happy middle ground. Yeah. And, I mean, life uh, is short. Yeah. We have to enjoy it, but just understand the balance. You yes. know, when we were young, we were told so many things were healthy for us that really weren't. Like milk doesn't help your bones. It, it, it takes away calcium. Like there's so many, sure. the food pyramid, you know, like so many things that we thought were one way were really another. Right. You know, when you were in, when I was in school, the teachers were saying, don't smoke weed and don't play video games. Now there's like multi-millionaire video gamers that on Twitch who then invest their money in weed stocks. Mm -hmm. Like it, 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 it's so, who's to say what's right or wrong? You know, Agreed. I think you just you have, have to, to understand. find what's right for yourself. For your body. Yeah, exactly. But ultimately I'm going to be vegan and Cali sober. That's like the dream. That's the dream. I really want to be that way. You aspire to be vegan because you think of what it's going to represent or no, you actually believe in it? No, because I think of all of my vegan friends who are happy and healthy and living a better life because of it. Do you ever think about the fact that plants are living and dead? What if they feel the pain as well? Like when you're chopping down I've never broccoli. been one of those who's like, I'm going to go vegan because I care about animals' feelings. Okay. That's never been my MO. <laughs> it's more about a healthy thing because I love fried chicken. Like it's my favorite. That's all I eat is chicken. Favorite food. I'm chicken, rice, and beans all oh, day. Oh, see, I like it all. Beef, fish. Okay. Pork. Sign me up. I'm from Texas. We eat meat. Mm. But ultimately, I've had vegan fried chicken and it's amazing. Is it? So, yes. I've never had vegan fried chicken. It's called... Uh, uh, is it like chicken lettuce feast? Or there's it's a it's actually in North Hollywood. They have like a vegan fair. At, probably not right now because of Corona, but they used to. Every Sunday they'd have a vegan fair, and there was a one spot that like specialized in fried chicken that's vegan, and it was amazing. And after you ate it, you didn't feel sick because a lot of times after you eat fried chicken, you know you get that like thing in your stomach, and you're like, yeah. oh, too much grease, too much this. You didn't get that, right? And it was amazing. So I know that the possibility is out there. I just think think for me it'll probably be like vegan Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday we go in and you eat whatever you want and have a drink or two. That'll be like how I see my future. I love it. Yeah. How else do you see your future? What are your goals? I have many, many goals. I'm an overachiever, so I am always working in different arenas of my life. So I want love to be an egoat, you know, win an Emmy and a Tony and an Oscar and a mm -hmm. Grammy. Grammy. Yeah, as I must have got them all, right? Yeah. So I want to choreograph for Broadway. I would like to direct Cirque du Soleil one day. I would like to have a very vibrant uh, musical career as a pop star and go on tour with dancers and have my own show with pyrotechnics and the whole nine. I would love to eventually have a husband, maybe a child, although the older I get, the more I'm like, probably not a child, but definitely a family of some sort, right? A yes. husband, a dog, a house, that kind of vibe. Your dog, though, not his dog. Thank you. I'm glad you know. Um, although I... <laughs> feel like that'll happen like once my dog has passed away I've got like a lot more years so like if they have a dog at that point then I'm open okay uh, it's, not a, it's not a deal breaker okay I just a preference I I definitely also like really want to like I said have a dispensary and and really expand my brand in the cannabis world you know not only having my own dispensary but also like my own pre-rolls and wax and a lifestyle brand and you know that's something you mentioned i think earlier that i have my own clothing line yeah and that's again another passion of mine i'd love to do runways and be designing so yeah i have many goals there's never never a, a shortage of goals i'm always adding to that list i'm the same way it's never done no 
I feel like I'm called to do this stuff. Me too. Like every day I'm like, oh, well, now, now we have to do this and we have to create this. I, like it doesn't feel right to me if I don't create it. Right. Most of the money I spend, I give gifts to myself. They're just like more equipment yeah. or more ability to do my art. I like, call it the Lady Gaga. It's reinvesting in yourself. Yes. That's what she did. And now look at her. Is she your favorite artist? No, Missy Elliott. Why? Um, several reasons. She makes banging music. I mean, come on. <laughs> Missy Elliott. So does Gaga, but Missy Elliott is a whole different thing. A different vibe. There's different, different, different genres. Different vibe. Different genres, even. Missy Elliott makes me want to drop down and get my freak on. Lady Gaga is like sour candy. It's like fun pop. So Missy for me is like, it, as a dancer, it's like just what I want to dance and groove to. Yes. Shout um, out to our friend Comfort. Shout out to Comfort, right? Yeah. Who works with Missy Elliott. So uh, amazing. Um, and then also like I, wait, what was the question? This why is you what like happens Missy? when you smoke weed. Right. Uh, the other reason I really like uh, Missy Elliott is because she was able to infiltrate pop music with a real message. So I actually wrote a thesis on her in college. Did you? Um, I took a class called The Hypersexualization of the Black Female Body. And it was all about how, uh, well, just that, how female bodies have been hypersexualized and how artists, current artists like Missy Elliott, have combated this ideology. So I wrote a piece on Super Duper Fly where she wears an inflatable fat suit so that her body can no longer be viewed and objectified. And so that's why I really love her is because she's such a genius that she, you know, subliminally yeah. hides these real messages and these real things, you know, get your freak on. It's all about accepting yourself for who you are, for being different. And I think that's such a beautiful mentality, but I love how she makes it mainstream in pop culture because that's how I feel I am. I've got a real message and I've got something really intelligent to say, but I want to do it in a fun way mm -hmm. and I want to make people feel good about it and not feel like they're getting preached to. Yeah. Who else do you like? Oh my gosh. I love so many people. If we're going to talk about just like rap artists. Or I'm, just artists in general. Okay, I was yeah. like rap yeah, artists. Rapper, I'm a lady singers. lady rapper person. So like Trina, Eve, okay. MC Light. Okay, like so all, you like the old school. I like old okay, school rappers. I'm the same way. But I like new school rappers too, like Queen Herbie, uh, Snow the Product. So I, I love new, new people too. Um, but I'm also super inspired by like musical theater. So I grew up loving that. So Tommy Toon, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, you know, the gold diggers of 1933 that is filled with hundreds of dancers and fake violins as they're coming down the staircases. And so I'm very inspired by like that old Hollywood world too. Yeah. Um, and then I'm inspired by like my best friends. You know, I, I work with a collaborator named Robert Heyman who is my best friend and, and we do a lot of different artwork together. And, you know, he's really inspired me and in my career as of recent to uh, not be afraid to be androgynous. He definitely was the first person who really started photographing me. For those who don't of, know, what does that mean? Okay, so androgynous is like the idea of both sexes. So sort of like non-binary, although non-binary usually references the fact that you're like neither Whereas androgyny is like when you're trying to be both. So for instance, like he would shoot me with a full face of makeup and a wig. So I looked very female in the face, but then we would expose my chest. So you would see like at that time, what I called, you know, a male nipple, a male chest. Um, and then I would have like a skirt on. So we would be playing with this yeah. kind of gender fuck is another word for it is what androgynous <laughs> is. I like that. So he was the first person to like really get me to... Yeah, photograph like that and model like that. And I think ultimately that inspired, you know, me accepting of the fact that I was trans because, again, it showed me that my body, whether I called them breasts or pecs, was ultimately mine and, and for me to view. And so when I would look at these photos that he would take of me, 
I didn't look at it as androgynous. I looked at it as female, even though I know the most person, most people who would look at that piece of artwork that we created and think, wait, is that a male or is that a female? And they'd question, you know, I saw, I, I saw female. And so that right. was like a really cool thing. And, and Robert has just been like an amazing friend. You know, when I go out of town on these tours and stuff, him and his partner, who's also my best friend, Hector, like they take care of my dog and, mm-hmm. you know, they're just really good people. So good people in general inspire me. You don't have to be famous or from some old Hollywood era. Like, you know, people off the street can inspire me by just being kind. I agree, man. That's so true. Yeah. You have a very lovely personality. Thanks. I really like your energy. Thanks. I'm very uh, blessed, I think, to have learned at an early age from a lot of my mistakes. I wasn't always so open. I wasn't always so kind. I definitely grew up with a, a big head on my shoulders and thought I was the shit. But, you know, coming to... I mean, you are the shit. But well, thank the, you. Yeah. But, you know, coming to Hollywood and being a, a small fish in a big pond, mm-hmm. whereas when I was in Texas and I was a big fish in a small pond. I felt that when I came here too. Yeah, It, it really like, changed Yo. me for the better. And it taught me a lot about humility and being grateful for the opportunities we have. And, you know, being in the drag community, I deal with a lot of shitheads, to be quite honest, for a lack of a better word. Lack of a better word. Within the community or yeah. to the community? Both, but mostly within the community. <laughs> and I've just promised myself that I'm not going to be like that and that I'm always going to try to be open and be present and remember no matter how successful I get that I'm no bigger or better than any other person. And just because I've been given this gift of, of talent and being able to talk and converse and be open, it doesn't mean that I don't have a ton of shit to learn. Yeah. And, you know, I think BLM, like that was a huge moment for me. It really taught me because I've always been someone who considers myself an ally But I learned during that movement that there was a lot of things I wasn't doing and a lot of ways that I could improve my allyship. And so I think that's, to me, like what life is about is is being able to hold yourself accountable first and foremost and to, like, cancel yourself when you're Mm -hmm. being an asshole. And uh, I think because I've done that to myself a lot, it's allowed me to come into my truth and, and be a better, nicer, more open person. Yeah, we all have to go through that journey. Right. Of getting the chip off our shoulders and realizing that it's not a happy life to go around being mad at everybody, even if or yourself or ourselves, especially ourselves. Right. And life is better, at least for me, when I notice that I'm being nicer, I feel better. Me too. Of course. You know, and there's times even though sometimes I could feel justified for being mean because I'm stressed and because of this and there's all these reasons for it. It doesn't feel good afterward. No. And ultimately, you know, like I heard someone talk about this recently, like, are we good because we want to be good or are we good because it feels good? And I think I've... I've That's a great question. And I think I've suffered from that too, you know, especially with someone as a platform and, you know, it's like we're so pressured to, you know, present as these perfect beings with this like platform. And it's like, that's just not possible. You're going to mess up. You're going to say something wrong. You're going to appropriate and not appreciate. Um, But as long as you can be honest about that and say, look, I, I messed up. I, I think that's all we can ask of people. You know, that's why I think cancel culture in a way is good, but also is not good because instead of canceling someone, we should be teaching them. Yes. We should be helping them learn why what they said or did was wrong instead of being like, you're a bad person and you're done. And I think that is again, something that I try to like show people is like, you know, for instance, I got accused of appropriating ballroom culture on RuPaul's Drag Race, which 
I did. I didn't do it knowingly. I did it unintentionally. What do you mean ballroom culture? So, for instance, the move that I'm known for, the way I entered RuPaul's Drag Race season six, was what at the time I called a death drop. It's so epic. Thank you. Thank you should so run much. a clip of it right now. Just... There it is. There she is. <laughs> um, but it turns out that I actually had learned the term incorrectly. I did not learn it from the ball. You know, it's the ballroom culture teachers. I learned it from the drag community, which let's face it, it is watered down. It's not the ballroom community, so there's no way it could ever be the same, no matter... By ballroom, you mean like ballroom, like cha-cha Latin no. ballroom? You mean... Like Paris's burning ballroom. Gotcha. Right, right. So where people dress up in different categories, like butch queen and femme face and things of this nature and compete in an underground world. So that's what I mean by ball culture. So the, the dip, which is actually the proper term for the death drop, came from ballroom culture. And, you know, I learned very publicly that I had messed up and that I was calling it the wrong thing. And, you know, people in that community really uh, came for me and, and not in the nicest way, unfortunately. And so it was very difficult for me to navigate. But ultimately, I realized as a dancer, look, I love ballroom community. I'm not trying to do anything to offend you. And instead of defending my bad teachings, I'm just going to say, you know what, you're right. It doesn't matter if I learned that term from someone of color it doesn't matter if I learned that from someone who is queer. They are not from the community. They themselves do not know the truth. You do. You're telling it to me. And whether you're telling it to me nice or not, <laughs> you're telling me the truth. You're accepting the lesson. And it's up to me, right, to not only accept that lesson, but then again to use my platform to teach others. Because I see this term death drop still to this day. So officially, it is not called a death drop. That's right. It's called a dip. D-I-P. So is death drop anything? It's, like the word death drop, it's a is that, down. does that mean a different move or is that just nope. a different name for the, the same move? Correct. It's a different name for the same move. It's okay. a watered down version. Shablam, mm -hmm. you may have heard this one. That's also another incorrect terminology for the move. Shablam I've is, heard shablam as a phrase. I didn't right. know it was so for that. So when someone does a dip, the audience member then goes shablam. So it's more of a calling <laughs> in action word. That's funny because I've used it, it for so many things that I never even knew. Because again, wow, people, made it into the lexicon people don't, you know, get the proper education. And so then they take it and turn it into something that which it's not. How do you not hurt your back when you do that? Do you I just do. fall on your ass? No, mostly, I think a lot of it is I, so the way I do my dips is I'm famous for kicking out my leg midair and then cracking the bottom leg and falling right down on my center. So what I think a lot of it is I use my heel and I use my hands like a, te like a seesaw kind of, right? And I catch myself with those first and then let the, the bottom half of my body so sink Just down. before you hit the ground, your hand like cushions it's like it? hand, foot, butt. You know, it all kind of like sinks in at once. But it's very dangerous, and I use a lot of CBD uh, salve on do you my ever joints. Put cushion, like when you no. do it, you go like no knee pads, nothing. You just yeah. like drop. I raw dog it. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. That's gnarly. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. It's it's a lot of uh, energy to yeah. to exude that on the stage and and do the jump splits and jump off platforms into splits and. It's definitely a, an intense routine that I bring to the stage, which is, again, why maybe more people will understand the older I get, the more I'm like, I'm trying to find other ways now to use my platform because I'm not trying to fall on my back like that till the day I die. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. That's such an epic move. Yeah. Well, it comes from an epic community. I mean, that's just the truth. The ballroom community has influenced so much of culture today. And I think that's ultimately why I was 
you know, greeted by such an aggressive response is because they're so often unheard and they're so often used and never paid for their beautiful and eccentric ideas. You know, that's why I love- They just wanted the recognition. Right. That's why I loved the show Pose because, you know, it really taught people about the community, but also more importantly, the writers, the makeup artists, they all themselves were trans and a part of the community as well. And so that to me is like where we need to be going. You know, I understand when straight actors play someone who's gay or play someone who's trans. It's called acting for a reason. Mm -hmm. But also there's something to be said about diversifying Hollywood and hiring people that are actually trans to play a trans role. And so I'm excited to see something like a pose be such a success as it was because I think it opens up the landscape now for more individuals to play themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Man, so much to learn, so much growth. Like, I feel like this is the most exciting time to be alive. I do too. I've, I literally keep saying that to people. It's like, yes, we're living in a very dark time and every- But is it? It is. I think we're noticing and talking about the darkness. Sure, but, but it's I, always been there. But in a friendly way, I'm going to challenge you on okay, that. Okay, I like it. I like I to be challenged. there's never been a better time to be alive. Okay. Pick one group of people other than white people. And go back in time and tell me when it was better. Well, I'm not a historian. Right? It's like, <laughs> I think what's happening now is that we have more access to see all the shit that's happening because it's a big world. You know, like 3 million people die every year. Yeah. Like some, I think just in America, is it? I think in America. That sounds right. Something like that, right? It, the, the, when we're looking at the COVID numbers, it looked crazy until you think like, there's tons of people dying all the time. Right. Every second, there's right. a gazillion people dying. And I think we're just not equipped to handle all that information. Yes, I agree. That's why I agree you know? with you to say, like, have the dark times always been around and we just didn't notice them? Yes, I do agree with you on that. But I also agree, like, even though there are all these issues and there is a lot of darkness and there is a corrupt system and there is, you know, all this racism in our systems and, you know, uh, fights for LGBTQ rights and all these things... There is also a lot of beautiful, and there is also a lot of yes. education and awakening and movement. Platforms, like the voice yeah, that you have. exactly. Like, these things weren't around back in the day. No. It wasn't even... <laughs> Drag queens weren't on TV. It Are wasn't you kidding? Even and if they were, they were a joke. Yeah. And they came out and had a low voice, and it was like a drag joke. Like, it was never taken as a serious art form. So... I do. I definitely do agree, though, that we're living in the best time, and I'm grateful to see it. And I'm we have a lot of room to grow. To see technology, and you know, do some days I wish I would have lived without Instagram. I do. <laughs> I do. But ultimately, I, I, you know, that's how I survived Corona. I got paid to post on Instagram, and it saved my life. So yeah. it's hard to be mad at something when it, you know, saves your life during a very dark period. So I've just learned it's all about balance. It's the ebb and the flow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, without darkness, we wouldn't have light. So we need both because ultimately it's those dark times, those sad times that make us appreciate the beautiful, happy times. If you could send a message to your 17-year-old self from the future, what would you say? Don't smoke cigarettes. Um, start saving money. Accept that you're trans. Be kinder to yourself, which will allow you to be kinder to others. And don't become obsessed with Versace. <laughs> That's what I would tell myself. 
Go for Gucci instead. <laughs> no, don't go for any of that shit. <laughs> it's too expensive and you don't need it. Why were you obsessed with Versace? Uh, I still am to this day and will be till the day I die. I love it because it's gaudy. It's over the top. It is designed by an incredible gay man. It is Italian. It is sexy. It is uh, in in goal, it's engulfed by the rap community that I love and Versace, appreciate Versace, so much. Versace, yeah, um, yeah. I just think it's it's the only brand for me. Medusa head day till I die. <laughs> and um, what? Let's channel a message for the world watching right now, who maybe just if if they made it this far, they got to know a lot about you, right? But just. A message to the people that may not understand fully what the trans movement is about. What do you really hope to be understood about that movement? What, what do you wish that the rest of the world would appreciate more about what you and your community are going through? I guess the message would be that trans people are people and deserve equal rights and acceptance just like everyone else. And that ultimately by accepting trans and understanding where we're coming from, you're going to be able to accept a part in yourself that's going to help you live a better life too. I love that. I love that. Short, sweet, and simple to the point today. Usually it's long, but today I think that's like very, that's what I, that's what I think. And what about for the trans people that are watching who may or may not be out, but that are going through their, the typical struggles of that community? Sure. My message to them would be to breathe, uh, to know that you're perfectly beautiful as you are, no matter where you are along in your journey, mm. and that ultimately to find joy. You know, I think the trans community is surrounded by a lot of harboring of hate, and it's very easy for us to develop tough skin to combat that. And so I would just challenge the trans community to do the opposite. And instead of, you know, build a wall, break that down, not only for others, but for yourself so that you can be happier. You know, I, I think laughter is the best medicine. Mm -hmm. And I fully believe in taking life seriously, being professional and working hard. But I also believe in being absolutely silly, balls to the walls, nonchalant with life. You got to be both. You got to be both. And I think because trans is such a main t buzzword right now and is such a topic that a lot of times people forget to have fun with it. And ultimately, I'm having fun being a third gender. I'm having fun with the fact that, you know, I'm not the same and I am different. And I think it's a, a really beautiful place to be in existence. And while it may come with its scary moments, it's a lot of fun and it's very freeing and... I think freedom is what we all want here. Yes. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for coming. Of course. I really appreciate this conversation. Yes. I feel like I learned a lot about you. I'm so happy to have been here. You know, I, I saw you on Instagram. I watched just a couple of clips of different individuals speaking, and I was like, wow, he really gets it. He's, he's bringing, you know, diverse voices to the forefront and allowing people to speak about their industries in a very intimate way. And I think we need, you know, more of that. So I'm so grateful to you for allowing me to share my story with your followers and, and vice versa, because I think as artists, it's really all about supporting one another um, because there's room enough for all of us. That's one thing I've learned from the drag community. We're very competitive to fight to get to the top. And the truth of the matter is... 
it's not about at being at the top. It's it's really about building a community so that when you get to where you're going, you look back or you look next to you and you have all your friends and family with you. And yeah. so I could just tell that about you. I could tell that you were supporting people in your circle and that you were giving them a voice to speak out about whatever it may be. And yeah, I wanted to be a part of that. So thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so happy for us doing this. I hope that people out there really um, appreciate not only who you are as an artist, as a person, as a creator, as a leader, you know, as a, as just a, an, an entity of love. Thanks. I love that. And as an entrepreneur, don't forget and as that. as an entrepreneur. Because I'm on my way to that $8 million yes. house in Malibu. You best yes. believe it. <laughs> yes. And I like that you're unapologetic about who you are. Yeah. You know, in all the different ranges of who you are, you know, and that you shared so much with us here today. Absolutely. I spent a lot of my life apologizing and uh, those days are, are long gone. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So um, final phrase of the show, final word is on you. Well, I'll just keep it simple. Let's get sickening. Oh, <laughs> love it. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. And where can they find you? You can find me on all social platforms at Laganja Estranja, except for TikTok, because I was a little late to that game. So I'm the only Laganja Estranja on that platform. And of course, check out my website, laganjaestranja.com, where you can find lots more information about me. But more importantly, you can go visit my online store and mm -hmm. get you some of that lifestyle brand, baby. Yes. Buy those products. Support the community. You know, you want to do some good? Start here. That's right. Support small-owned trans, trans businesses. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. 